You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll talk about taking theater online and how audiences still connect through live performances, even if they're not in the same room. I'm used to building these friendships and relationships online, but other people aren't. And so because of this pandemic, suddenly everyone's forced to do that. And I know a lot of people got really depressed and frustrated and scared about the whole thing. And what was great to me about this play was being able to say, we can do it. And even though the characters aren't all building these relationships purely online, because there's a lot of quote, quote, in-person interaction in the play, I think it does showcase that both are relevant and important and useful. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org. Everything's virtual these days, but in an upcoming performance from American Conservatory Theatre, building connections in digital spaces is already a central theme. In Love and Warcraft, a play by Madri Shekar, is a romantic comedy about a young woman's exploration of her identity in an online role-playing game and expressing it in the real world. Performances as part of ACT's Interact at Home initiative begin September 4th in a few different formats, as you'll hear. I talked about the play and how audiences have responded to it with Associate Conservatory Director Peter Kuo, who's directing In Love and Warcraft. In Love and Warcraft is a cosplay-loving, romantic comedy about intimacy and love in the digital age. Do you find this at all somehow unfortunately relevant to our current situation, like serendipitous in a horrible way? Because you're now directing a virtual play about the separations and collisions of the virtual and physical worlds. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting because um, I it, the play was written five years ago before a pandemic was even on the horizon, yeah. right? Um, and we selected to do the play before that, and so when when kind of things happened and initially we're like, well, we have to switch everything online. I was like ready to go. I was game because I think exactly as you said, I already felt like the show had that potential, um, but I. I have this really bizarre history that I'm really kind of coming to terms with now of having formed an entire life and relationship with people online since I was a teenager. Really? And yeah, um, you know, the, uh, this is a story that I kind of realized, oh, this is actually extremely relevant and I didn't really connect the dots. So when I was a young teen, um, I was playing an MMORPG, kind of like World of Warcraft, but it was text-based. It was called um, Gemstone 3, and it was through AOL dial-up oh back my in God. the day. Um, <laughs> and I, I literally, that's how I made friends, I um, because I was not a popular kid in grade school. Mm -hmm. But I was playing games with people where we were killing monsters, playing magic, and, and just having chats. And it was very nerdy at the time, but it was also... One of my, uh, a, a friend that I made there who I've lost complete contact with, but um, because of her, uh, she helped me when I was coming out. And it was the most bizarre thing of, you know, we we're chatting and I was talking about someone that I had a crush on and she asked, is this person a guy? And I had that freak out because I was a, a mm, teen who yeah. had not come out yet. I was like, why would you ask that? And what's going on? And 
she was very much like, well, you're using pronouns that are neutral. Like you're not specifying a girl. And then she was like, I'm a lesbian, by the way. And she was a little bit older. I think she was uh, probably in either her late teens or 20s. And she very much, like, we talked about it. And she kind of was very positive and affirming and was just like a kind of guide in life about how to navigate coming out and things like that. And it's so interesting because this play is this woman who is trying to figure out her own sexuality and her relationship to sex and how video games is such a key part of how she builds relationships and how she builds connections. And so I, I, it took me a while to make that connection mm-hmm. for myself. Um, but once I did, I was kind of like, yeah, it's, it's really key. And I, I guess for me, it, I guess for me, what kind of hit me was that, oh, I'm used to building these friendships and relationships online, but other people aren't. And so because of this pandemic, suddenly everyone's forced to do that. And I know a lot of people got really depressed and frustrated and scared about the whole thing. And what was great to me about this play was being able to say, we can do it. And even though the characters aren't all building these relationships purely online, because there's a lot of quote, quote, in-person interaction in the play, I think it does showcase that both are relevant and important and useful. Yeah. Before we go any further, can you give us a rough sense of what's going on in this play plot-wise so just people don't feel lost? It's about love and it's about World of Warcraft and what else? (laughs) Sure. Um, So basically the central character, Evie, she has this avatar um, on it's really called Warcraft Universe based on World of Warcraft, just so that the playwright kind of is able to manipulate the Uh world a little bit more. (laughs) Creative license. Um, Yeah, creative license, exactly. She's a virgin and she's in college. Almost all the characters are in college, uh, their senior year. And she's just not really explored her sexuality, yet she's surrounded by a society that is all about sex. You know, at that age... It's all about parties. It's about um, sexual pressure, the music, the media, movies, film, television. There's all this sexual presence going on. And she's kind of just immersed herself in this video game so much. That's where she feels, feels the most powerful. That's where she feels the most comfortable. And she has this online boyfriend with a guy in the video game that lives. Uh, she's in uh, downtown L.A. and he's in San Diego. Um, and so they don't really meet that often. But she's a ghostwriter for people. She ghostwrites love notes and break uh, breakup notes or um, makeup notes to help people stay together, get back together, and things like that. And she falls in love with a client, but she kind of pushes it off at first because she's afraid of that love aspect. And he actually pursues her. So this really interesting love triangle starts. So she has this online relationship. She has this real person relationship, but she has all this anxiety around discussing and dealing with sex because she's never dealt with it before. And so she's confronted with this relationship with this guy and her best friend Kitty is this sex maniac and it's like, just go for it, do it, just finally do it. And so it's about that love triangle, but also that friendship with Kitty plays a key role. Madhuri writes a beautiful, beautiful um, friendship between two women and she lets that have a full arc, which I think is really important. And so she ends up 
escaping into this Warcraft universe over and over again because that's where she feels comfortable. And it's all about everyone kind of compromising and helping each other out and defying expectations of the way the world asks people to present themselves in relationship to sex and sexuality. Yeah, I don't want you to have to give away the full plot here, but is there some takeaway maybe about the the value and safety of experimenting and exploring identity in a virtual space and and how that shapes us in a uh, meat space, for lack of a better term, in, in real life? <laughs> yeah, I would say the takeaway is how much we allow ourselves to be who we truly are. In something like the World of Warcraft, Warcraft universe, one has an ability to present and and be true to who they are because there's an ability to be vulnerable because people aren't seeing your actual self in a certain way. The takeaway really is about defying other people's expectations of you, how people present you and their how therefore you fulfill that um, kind of and choosing to really find who you are on the inside and really become that person. Yeah, I wanted to talk some more about something you said earlier about how some people sort of seem taken aback or to have anxiety and stress about having to go virtual because in a way, you know, the that's what feels relevant to me about this play. But mm. also it's the complete opposite because Evie, the main character here, is sort of retreating to the safety or or experimenting in the safety of virtual spaces. And and the rest of us right now, or you know, many of us, let's say, who haven't necessarily done that as a matter of course or, or didn't grow up doing that are as practiced, we don't really have a mm-hmm. choice. Like the safety aspect of virtual life is is physical. We're trying to avoid getting coronavirus. Um I, I just wonder what you think people might might get out of it if like their perspectives might change after they've seen this on what creating connection virtually is all about. So I think there's this natural fear and belief that we can't really truly connect unless we're in person. And to me, it's part of the reason why also film and television is so different from theater is there's actually a more immediate intimacy in a certain way because you're so close Mm -hmm. to someone often when you're talking to them on camera, your ability to see facial features is a little bit stronger. And to a certain degree, things like Zoom or some of these other platforms, you also are constantly seeing yourself. Right. And so in the weirdest way, you notice, you're observer of your own interaction with other people. (laughs) And to me, there's something highly vulnerable about that that after the first initial kind of letting go i think it goes back into what i was just saying is at first that feels like so much work and i think that's what a lot of people do on zoom calls or video calls that i've learned to let go over my years of like that's how i hung out with some of my internet friends 10 years ago i was making videos on youtube and i made a bunch of friends on youtube and we would hang out like this uh, on Tiny Chat, which is the Zoom before Zoom. Mm-hmm. And at some point, we gave up on trying to present like, yes, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm watching you. I feel like I go into Zoom meetings at work sometime and everyone's like staring at the camera so that other people know I'm listening yeah, to you. They're performing attentiveness. You. Exactly. Exactly. They're performing attentiveness. And so 
kind of eventually you have to let that go because that's exhausting. And when you let that go, you allow yourself to be a little bit more natural. And suddenly I'm seeing people in a much more um, natural way. And you're seeing yourself in a much more natural way. And that's why I think to me there's this interesting like, oh, I'm building a different layer and level of intimacy with you in that moment. And so that's why it's just, it's it's unique. And I think the point that I like to point out, especially both in this art form that we're creating of the show, but also in creating relationships online, it's not meant to be a replacement for in-person relationships. It's just something different. It's It's a different flavor of it. It's chocolate and vanilla, you know, it's pizza and spaghetti, like the flavor profiles, there might be something different or, but it's not meant to be a, a full replacement. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So how is this going to work logistically? A link is going to be sent out to the virtual performance in advance. And then are people going to watch it simultaneously, like butts in seats at the same time, just in different places? Or is this like more like film festivals that I've seen that are virtual where you can watch kind of at your leisure in a certain time frame? How does this work? So there are two different styles that people can purchase tickets. The first is uh, live streaming. And so basically all six actors who are in the show are performing the show live and the audience is watching it live. So they'll all get a link and it's for a specific date and time. So there are four date options right now. And everyone kind of logs in, tunes in. It's like going to the theater, going to the lobby. Um, We'll have a little pre-show lobby display kind of thing going on. Mm -hmm. And you are literally watching it while the actors are performing it. Are they um, are so they in the same all... place? Are they on a set or are they in separate places? So uh, right now, because of COVID-19, the way this video style works is everyone's in separate places. Mm. But through the ca- through camera tricks, um, certain aspect of creating shared space, using depth, um, utilizing both my theater and film knowledge, we create constant illusions that people are in the same space and in the same room together. Oh, And so... Yeah, we when we first presented this back in the spring, there are several audience members who are actually very confused. Some of them <laughs> said, "Did you break? Like, are they together? They're not supposed to be in the same room right now. Like, what's going on?" While someone else was just like, "I don't understand why they're using two different cameras right now. Why can't they just be in the same camera?" Mm. It was the you know it was the weirdest kind of fun experience because I also had those moments when I was in rehearsal where I would rehearse them. I said, oh, you actually can't leave yet because so-and-so's in the way or they're in that doorway. And then I realized, no, they're not in the same space. Great. Okay, we can do this. Um, so I fooled myself quite often during oh, rehearsal. So that's how you know it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's all happening synchronistically. The artists are performing, the, art, um, the audience is watching it. And one of my favorite things about the audience watching it is we now have an ability to have chat functions Mm -hmm. in these viewings and the engagement the audience has with each other is kind of mind-blowing um because you can't have that in a live theater performance uh in-person performance because you know it's all about being quiet and listening and laughing at the right moments and and having those quiet responses to yourself in this people were having huge conversations of like is this character asexual what is asexual i don't know what that is and people having these educational moments <laughs> at one point 
between that love triangle, there's full on with hashtags Team Ryan and Team Raul. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was it was hysterical. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. And then when one character apologized to the other, so in one point in the play, one of the characters apologized to the other. And uh, someone in the chat was like, okay, team, what do we think? Do we accept his apology <laughs> for her? And I was just like, y'all are so invested and you're also building relationships. And someone on Facebook who I didn't know tagged me at one point and was very much like, I saw the show directed by Peter. It was amazing. And I met my new best friend in the chat. No way. And they had become friends on Facebook and started chatting. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. So that's – sorry, we've gotten really into this, and that's very cool. But that's only one of two ways that this will be presented. Am I understanding that right? Yes. Sorry. Yes. So the other way, I just that that watching it live is like my favorite version of it because I also think for the audience, there's this kind of when you watch something live, you're aware that anything can happen. So there's this underneath kind of adrenaline yeah. that kind of is running that something can happen. And we actually had like an actor's computer shut down at one point oh. in the middle of the scene, and it was a forehand scene where four people were talking. So one of them just picked it up and just said. I can just carry his lines because it makes sense for my character. And then he came back in like a minute later and everything was fine. The audience never noticed. Oh my God. It was amazing. You guys are really good at this. (laughs) Yeah. And to me, like that's that live experience that we're used to in a regular theater. If uh, someone drops a prop or misses a cue or drops an entrance or things like Mm -hmm. that. So the other version is an on-demand version. So a week after the live performance is over, we're going to take those live performances and kind of, edit together some of the best of of pieces and then stream that for a week for anyone to watch it on their own pace. I think that's more of like, if you can't make it to a live show or if your schedule just doesn't have that flexibility, we want to make sure that this offering is still available to you. I say all of that. I still highly encourage the live experience. Yeah, I mean, how have you seen people react um, to the non non live experience? You've talked a little bit already about audience response to to the live experience, which seems fascinating and and really very like like a lot of connections are being sparked there. But have you heard anything back? Gotten any feedback about the um, the sort of the less time specific <laughs> version? Yeah, it's because um, we haven't really done that yet with this show uh-huh. the first performances that we had in the spring it was just two live performance and that was it um i've had for internal purposes some people had seen the archival version who didn't see the live performance and i can kind of tell there's a slight difference you know when you're watching something especially like in our youtube netflix hulu world right now there's this interesting ability to like be able to pause something rewind it Mm. or fast forward Mm. it and when you have that kind of control i i think the brain is kind of looking for those moments sometimes and i even do it myself i was watching something and i was kind of i didn't understand what the character had said and so i rewinded it a little bit just to rewatch it as opposed to it's interesting when something is live i trust that oh i missed that but the story is going to continue. The playwright and the characters uh, are going to help me. They're going to, I trust them to continue to tell me the story. Uh, and it's interesting. I don't know if we always do that with film and TV. I'm speaking with Peter Quo about In Love and Warcraft, a performance he's directing for American Conservatory Theater. 
You've been called an artistic leader in this new medium of virtual theater, and having now had part of this conversation, I can see why. But I want to ask you what that's been like for you to develop leadership and directing skills further, you know, in that medium, especially because it sounds like you went from one way of doing this to another, kind of in very in a short time frame. Yeah. Um... So I still love directing live in-person theater, and I really can't wait for that to happen. But I, I do feel this medium, what excited me about it was the fact that it has a different sense of accessibility for audiences, for artists. The live in-person theater tends to be very geographically limiting if you don't live in the city of a regional theater or can get to New York and Broadway and things like that there's an exclusivity of who can be involved in that. And so for me, I lead a lot of equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. Mm -hmm. And so the online platform has always been an interesting accessibility thing for me that it's been exciting to now suddenly see theater taking advantage of that more. And I think when I was younger and kind of getting into these online video platforms like YouTube and back in the day there was blog TV and Vine and things like that. Now it's all TikTok and Twitch and uh, I'm on those as well, but I don't really create as much. Mm -hmm. To me, there was always this potential of matching these mediums together and having them take advantage of each other. But I think for a long time, many of the leaders of our field feared that technology and what it was going to do to the medium. And so there was a lot of running away from it. And so it took a long time or it took a pandemic, really, for the industry to kind of have to feel, okay, we can utilize this. And I think we can bring something really exciting to it. Sorry, I realized you asked me about artistic leadership, and I start talking about like our full industry. Because That's okay. I think for me, I don't like... I don't focus on myself in, in the equation of it. I just kind of go, great, this is the situation that we are in. These are the <laughs> skills that I have. Let's just do this and let's get it out there in the world. Because I really want our industry and the economy of our industry to relaunch. There's so many artists that I know who are unemployed and there are so many people in my industry who are suffering. And I want them to get back on. And if it means in this medium, I want to give this knowledge and information as much as I can. Yeah, I wanted to see if you could maybe say more about that fear in the industry of these technologies. And I, if there, if you already saw potential there before the pandemic even hit, which it sounds like you did. And is that coming to fruition now? And could that be incorporated into the industry in the future in some way? Yeah, I think so. I would say that it's about the fact that there's something very specific about a live in-person performance that I understand people want to preserve. That being said, I also think a lot of the same reasons people love live theater can be performed on this digital platform. Uh, so I've been teaching this live video theater class uh, over the entire summer. And I've had about over 100 students kind of taking it now. I usually do it in blocks of about 15 students. And one of the first questions I ask, and I ask them to kind of write in a shared Google Doc, what is it that you love about live theater as a performer or creator or also as an audience member? And what I often find is all these things that people list, 
I'm also able to say, well, you can also get that same experience or feeling or what you're talking about is found in television or film or watching something in a movie theater or uh, a live broadcast of a sporting event or things like that. So then I'm able to say, great, if those are the things you love, let's also talk about the things that you love that are specific just to theater and how we can marry those two, which I think this format lives in. A lot of it has to do with the liveness. A lot of it has to do with theatrical magic and the imagination. Um, and so I think a long time there was this fear of, well, it's it's not it's not the same. And it's true. It's not the same. Live in-person theater is not the same as live video theater. Similarly to, I think, what I was talking about of these relationships you make, it's a different flavor or a different style of kind of something similar. The, the flavor profiles are the same, but the way it's delivered is very different. And so to me, it's that way of kind of having like when Lady Gaga has a live concert, she gets her CDs out there, her music out there, the MP3 downloads, and if people still use CDs, <laughs> um, but to get that introduction to that music and to, to fall in love with it. But people still pay all that money to go to a major city to go see her live concert. But her actual artistic work is still spread out and is accessible in multiple different ways. That's what I think this format can be. It can give tons of people excitement in that form itself, but also generate some excitement for the actual live version as well. You know, just because people can consume a a sporting event at home doesn't stop the seventy thousand fans from going to the Super Bowl. Still, right. That's what I hope they can marry each other and work together. Yeah, it's not necessarily a threat that we are now starting to figure out how this can be done in in different ways too. Absolutely, yeah. So one aspect of the show that I want to talk about before we run out of time, because you brought up sort of theater magic um, and because this does have the fantasy role play aspect, I want to talk about the costuming and the set because what I've seen and read about this performance so far indicates that the costuming is so much fun and I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about how that all works, um, especially now in a virtual space. About 90% of the play happens in the real world, where it's videos of people at their homes or at a cafe or at uh, these specific locations. And so it's not kind of in the world of fantasy. Mm-hmm. I think one of the the things that was very exciting for people when they saw the show live is Madhuri writes in an entire scene that's about 11, 12 minutes long that happens in a kind of in the world of Warcraft game type thing in Warcraft universe. And what she has is the characters dress up in cosplay. They dress up like the avatars. They move like you do in World of Warcraft, which kind of has this still somewhat robotic (laughs) stiltedness going on. It's a really fun way to see the show live. Instead, though, for what we did is we embraced the medium. And instead, we, me and several of the production team created avatars on the world of Warcraft. No way. And we played the game and recorded the footage. <gasps> so the characters talk to each other in that game for that scene. And then eventually their videos pop on because they start talking to each other. But awesome. it was a lot of fun. We had to like, it was like truly doing a film shoot. It was like, <laughs> I need you to go over here. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I need to cue you when you kill that monster. And I need to get this angle that I'm shooting from. It was hysterical, but fun. 
So it's it's one of my favorite moments in the in the play when people see that because it's this kind of like oh my gosh we're actually in the game now because mm-hmm. they talk about it for so long and it's near the end of the play. But yeah, so so that being said, all the other set elements and costume elements for the most part are much more naturalistic and realistic, mm-hmm. uh, except for that bit. And then there's one point where one of the characters dresses in cosplay, and it's really cute and really fun. And I think it's just really interesting to watch people that we kind of deem nerds or dorks living in their element and living in a world that they really truly get to embrace and feel powerful in uh and sexy and loved and that's kind of i think what the rest of the play ends up being peter thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about this this has been a lot of fun is there anything i didn't give you a chance to say that you are just dying to talk about i'm so excited about the potential that this all has. And I just hope people come in for the ride. Please come. I think you'll have a lot of fun. Uh, If you are the kind of person who likes to engage, engage in the chat. It's like the most, it's just such a wonderful experience to be able to have right now. I think especially during this pandemic. Absolutely. Thanks again, Peter. This was fun. Of course. Thank you. That was director Peter Quo. Live streaming of In Love and Warcraft will run from September 4th to 12th, and the performance will be available on demand from September 18th to 25th through ACT's Interact at Home initiative. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.